Our first reading is from the Epistle to the Church of Colossae, the first chapter. If you'd like to read along, it's printed in the middle of your bulletin insert. In preparation to hear these words, let us turn our hearts in prayer. Holy God, we give you thanks for these ancient words and all the lives of those who have carried them on throughout the ages. We ask that you would open us anew this morning, that we would hear your word for us today. Amen. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in the Christ all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through and for Christ. The Christ is before all things, and the Christ all things hold together. Christ is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. A reading from the Gospel according to St. Luke. Now as they went their way, Jesus entered a certain village, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the teacher's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Rabbi, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But Jesus answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. Abraham, Abraham, Jacob, Jacob, Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel, Lord, Lord, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Eloi, Eloi. 
Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha, Saul, Saul. These are the moments in Scripture when a name is exclaimed in double form. They are pivotal moments. They are moments of change for the person and the people. Patriarchs and prophets hear their calls. Abram becomes Abraham. Jacob becomes Israel. Moses confronts his shadow and leads the people out of Egypt. Samuel finally listens to the Lord and transmits the Lord's word. Samuel's name means word of the Lord. Jesus discovers his own unfolding vocation. Simon becomes Peter. Saul becomes Paul. Together they provide different schools of leadership in the early church. And there, in between Peter and Paul, we have Martha, Martha. What have we missed in our reading of the story of Mary and Martha? One commentator whom I read includes Martha in the short list of history-changing, twice-said names. He, he highlights the great historic calls of the men. But when he comes to Martha, he belittles her call to imitate Mary. Don't be such a busybody. Sit down, shut up. Of course, Mary is doing what only a man was allowed to do. But does God ever call someone to simply imitate someone else? Or is God's call more to stop imitating and to, to become who we really are, who we are made to be? Martha's name means, if we go to the Aramaic roots, of which I am not a scholar, but we can look things up. Her name means one who speaks out, one who is strong, the owner of the house. The word's early root is a sound something like mar. It's related to the bitter herb used in the Passover ceremony and to the myrrh used for perfume, medicine, and embalming. Now, the etymology of Mary is not as clear. It could come from the same Aramaic root as Martha. I found that very interesting. The two names could be the same name. It could come from the same Aramaic root as Martha, meaning bitterness or rebelliousness. Some also say it could come from the Egyptian root, which I cannot pronounce, Mri, meaning beloved. Mary may have already benefited from her rebelliousness, 
and had found her better part as beloved of God. Which all makes me ask the question, how are the bitter parts of our lives related to the better parts of our lives? This story of Martha and Mary is full of rebelliousness, but it's too easy for us to miss all that, just as it's too easy to miss out on Martha's call. She is in that short list of double-called names. Lots of rules are being broken here. Mary takes the role of a man by sitting at the feet of the rabbi. Not to be done. Jesus accepts Mary as a rabbinical student, unheard of. Martha is the owner, the leader of the home, even, well, Luke doesn't mention Lazarus, but John does, even with a brother in residence. She reveals her personal struggle and weakness. She's overly familiar with the male guest. She tries to change her sister. She tries to tell Jesus what to do. She accuses the guest of not caring. Jesus, as I keep reading it, respects Martha's position of authority. And with that telling, intimate, and powerful Martha Martha, he guides her away from trying to change people. What Mary has is not going to be taken away from her. He does not seem to take offense at Martha speaking her mind. And he shows his care by coaching her to be a better leader of the house. I'm very taken by the Greek word for the work that Martha is doing. Do you know what it is? Diakonia. She's doing the work of a deacon. Now when we read the Gospels, of course, there's so many levels. We try to get back, what is it saying about Jesus? And what's it saying about the church at the time the evangelist was writing? So was Martha perhaps the host and leader of a home church? Can we reflect on Martha and Mary as names from the same root, possibly referring to the same person? Or at least applying it to ourselves, the two parts of ourselves as we struggle with finding the one thing as we discern and seek out the next steps on our spiritual journeys, as we open ourselves to our need to keep learning from the Lord and learning about ourselves. Can we see Jesus coaching Martha as a history-changing leader of the people of God? What did happen to the rest of her story? Maybe we can get a peek from the Gospel of John. There, after the death of Lazarus, 
Martha rushes out to speak her mind almost as an equal. An equal with the teacher. She's also the very first person to proclaim faith in the resurrection. Even before the death of Jesus. Even before Mary Magdalene's post-resurrection proclamation. Martha clearly also sat at the feet of the teacher. Jesus is coaching Martha to keep looking for what is most important and in that to become free of the frazzle and fizzle of the distractions and worries that so often decrease the effectiveness of those who serve and lead. If you keep frazzling, you will soon be fizzling. When I was a young seminarian, I was appointed to be kind of caretaker of an older friar. He was alcoholic and uninhibited. And they kind of thought, Dale can handle that. Well, we became very good friends. And he had very good friends, a couple about his age, Alice and Arthur. And we loved going over to their home for dinner. Cyprian also enjoyed frazzling Alice. Alice wanted to have everything done before the guests arrived so she could be a good hostess and sit with us. Well, Cyprian wanted to get there early. Well, to admit it, to get an extra drink or two before dinner, and to frazzle Alice. Well, we would arrive an hour or two early, and she'd see us out the kitchen window, and she'd come bursting out the front door, just like Martha at the death of Lazarus. What the hell are you doing here? And the two old friends would continue their traditional dialogue, their animated exchange, and then she would throw her arms around us and bring us inside. As I saw that many times, it became clear to me, friends are more important than food, maybe even more important than drink. And we would enjoy the evening as we had many times before. So I would see Alice get frazzled, but something in her kept her from getting fizzled. Was Martha really just busy in the kitchen, as we tend to imagine? Or was she preparing her home for the Eucharistic gathering over which she would have presided as the deacon? Perhaps the invitation is in the story of the Good Samaritan just before the story of Martha and Mary. Break the little fussy rules to follow the higher law. That's very scary. Break the little fussy rules to follow the higher law. Now you did mention, Jenna, that I, I minister now as a flight attendant. And I do consider it a ministry. I minister to pilgrims crushed onto a little airplane. 
and you can see people's spirits frazzling and sometimes fizzling. When the seatbelt sign goes on, now this is, a, this is a pet peeve and a central part of a flight attendant's job. Most passengers have never seen the seatbelt sign. <laughs> it's about that big. And it's all important. I heard a new one the other day. I said, sir, the seatbelt sign is on. You need to be seated. I said, you see this? When that's lit, you need to stay seated. He said, oh, I saw that green spot. It was the arrow pointing to the need to connect the two parts. I saw that green spot. I thought that green means I can get up. I said, well, I have to admit, you are being creative. <laughs> that's a great one. Anyway, the other day, we were having some rather serious turbulence. So we do all of the warnings we can. The seatbelt sign goes on. Pilot says, seatbelt sign is on, remain seated. And then this one, flight attendants be seated immediately. I was in my jump seat, strapped in, a plane going like this. And sure enough, what always happens, someone comes to the bathroom. And so a man is bringing his little son down the aisle. I said, sir, you must be seated. And he looked at me with horror. He said, but he has to go to the bathroom. I said, you must be seated. Well, he opens the door. The son goes into the bathroom. The door locks. And then the turbulence gets worse. And he starts to actually get the point. As I'm strapped in and feeling rather safe, as long as I take the turbulence seriously, he's trying to hold on, and I tell him, stay away from me. I don't want you falling on me. Stay in the aisle, go to the floor, hold on to the bottom of a seat. And I reminded him, it's much easier to wash dirty clothes than it is to heal a broken son. Sometimes we are called to break the lesser rules to live the higher law, the one thing that is necessary. A lady brought this poem to spiritual direction the other day. I said, may I make a copy? It seemed to speak to my meditation on Martha and Mary, the one important thing. Life is calling. A small investment in one step produces rich results. Beyond what you can dream, so shelve the hideaways, the high performance, the hardeners, the penetrating gray, and take on a whole new beautiful. Turn ordinary works into an extraordinary existence. Everything you need to turn slate blue into summer straw is here. Welcome to safety and adventure on a path that suits your specific needs 
in a way you can't imagine. Life is calling to one step. No preparation. Just a leap of faith. So be transformed by the falling. Start as who you think you are and find joyous dancing waters. <laughs>